This episode of Juice Guru Radio is brought to you by Try Best, making healthy living easy. Welcome to Juice Guru Radio. Discover what the magic and power of juicing can do for you. And now, your host, best-selling author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Juice Fasting, Steve Prusak. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Steve Prusak. So excited listening to Ayahuasca. We're going to hear about the mystical experiences with this ancient brew, Ayahuasca, with our guest Rachel Harris, author of Listening to Ayahuasca, New Hope for Depression, Addiction, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and anxiety she's coming up right after this so get yourself a water a tea a shot of ayahuasca we'll be back right after this with rachel harris did you know you can make a great living in the hottest new business trend today the juice guru certification program is the world's first online course to give you the knowledge and marketing skills to excel as a juicing coach and start making money in no time find out more at juicecoachtraining.com now, let's welcome back to the show right now. I'm so excited. You know, I said do a shot of ayahuasca because I'm so excited about this. I've been wanting to cover this topic for a long time. Uh, anyone who's into growth and other things, this is a, a great journey you can take with ayahuasca. Let's welcome to the show right now, Rachel Harris. Hi, Steve. Go ahead. I, I don't mean to sound like the candy man for ayahuasca, and it's a very serious, yeah. it's a very serious thing, you know, but I'm just excited to, to talk about it. Um, and who better to talk about it than you? So thank you for being here. Well, you know, people have told me this is the book. If they're drinking ayahuasca, if they're attending ceremonies, this is the book they give to their mother to explain what they're doing. <laughs> right? I love yeah. that. Okay, there's a little that. time right here. But okay. All right. I love so, yeah. that idea. Well, yeah, first sort of, of all, to those new to ayahuasca, can you, you know, can you explain, you know, in general layman's term, what ayahuasca is and and its roots? Yes, literally, its roots. It's a medicine that has been used by indigenous peoples in the uh, Amazon rainforest for thousands of years. I mean, there's debate about whether it's three thousand or seven thousand, but for thousands of years, it's been used in the main in the rainforest, in the Amazon, by indigenous people, mostly for um, medical reasons, but also for witchcraft and and for telepathic purposes, to learn where the animals are, to go hunting. So there's a wide range of uses in the original cultures that it came from. And it's a, a, a tea, it's a brew, so it's not exactly a juice, but it's a tea made from the leaves of one plant and the bark of another plant. And when those two uh, plants combine, uh, there's a psychedelic that's released that's accessible in the human system, that's able to move through the brain barrier. So now, when you talk about a psychedelic, I know people, they're saying, what, what do they mean psychedelic? But the interesting thing about that molecule, the DMT, is that's actually already in our brain, isn't it? Well, it's endogenous, but not at these, not at these amounts. Exactly. So, and we don't really understand. Uh, it's, it's also uh, found in many, many plants. I mean, tons and tons of plants. So it's a molecule that's spread out over the plant kingdom and in humans as well. And we don't know a lot about it. We're, the research is really just beginning. Um, I know historically it's really interesting that 
out of all the plant, the millions of combinations you can have, the fact that these, the early day shaman were able to put together these two, the bark and the plant together to create this, it, it, that's quite a story too, isn't it? That really, I love that story. And what, what happened was, you know, it was the anthropologists and the ethnobotanists who were going into these unknown areas in the Amazon rainforest, first exploring and being exposed to ayahuasca. And they were drinking it with the, uh, with the villagers. And they asked, of course, how did you know to mix these two plants that would have this chemical interaction that would make the DMT available to the human system? And the indigenous people looked at them kind of startled and just said, well, the plants told us. So that's the beginning clue about this medicine. What was it? It cut out. A totally different. It cu- when I said this, this medicine exists in a totally different worldview where plants talk to people and tell them this is good for this disease and this is good for this and you should combine these two plants to make a brew. And so that's, a, you know, the, the, from a Western point of view, we don't know how to understand that because there's so many plants in the Amazon. They could have combined millions and millions of plants and nothing would have happened. But they picked these two and everything happens. So you see that skeptics, I mean, it, it's interesting. Let's just say it's interesting to just even how this all came about. Um, we're going to talk a little more about ayahuasca, the kinds of experiences people are having in the book, listening to ayahuasca by Rachel. It's her latest book, new hope for depression, addiction, PTSD, and anxiety, a natural way to deal with some of these things. And if that is what's happening. So we're going to hear more about that on today's show and so much more. So stay tuned. This is really exciting to have Rachel on the show. Who better to talk about ayahuasca than someone with a PhD? We're not talking, because when people hear the word psychedelic, I'll tell you another thing, Rachel. Recently, Paul McCartney of the Beatles has come forward and and talked about his DMT experience. And we don't know if he's talking about ayahuasca or how, you know, because that is the active chemical that's that's used, like you were saying. But that he and a bunch of friends, you know, in the earlier days, I don't know if it was the Beatles or what, but they saw God under this, you know, what they what they thought to be God. And he's actually came out with this in the last couple of weeks. So it's interesting. So this is nothing new. Ayahuasca is something that people have been tapping into even since the sixties in this country. Well, in this kind well, I don't know exactly. I think it's a little bit later. The, um, the sixties were sort of the heyday for LSD and magic mushrooms, psilocybin, and those are sort of the most classic psychedelics where most of the research is being done because those are produced in a laboratory. So the potency and the dosage can be controlled. With ayahuasca, which came later, I mean, it really began to pick up in the 90s, even though anthropologists and ethnobotanists had been drinking it in the jungle. It, it was brought to the States more in the 90s, but it's a, it's a plant-based brew. And so we can't predict... Uh, we can't control the potency or the amounts. I mean, people drink a tiny little bit and have a big experience. They drink two cups and have nothing. So it's very difficult to understand. It doesn't work like a Western drug. So, right. for instance, and, and, and there are no two experiences the same, right? 
No, it's quite unpredictable. So here we have, you know, I just want to send out a warning as well as all this enthusiasm is this is a very strong psychedelic and there's no way to predict or know exactly what you're drinking or what's going to happen. And there are some disqualifiers. So if someone has had a history of psychotic breaks or schizophrenia, it's not worth the risk. It's uh, this kind of thing, or, or bipolar with episodes of mania. This, this psychedelic is so strong, it can, it can send them off the deep end, and then they're really in trouble because uh, then they, they basically get carted off to an emergency room at a Western hospital. So we, we, or if there's a history of suicide, it's just kind of iffy. And there's kind of a strict mm. information about diets, that you, you, what you eat before a ceremony. And there are all kinds of concerns about where do you access this? I mean, people, this is one of the most common questions I get asked, which of course I can't make referrals. DMT is illegal in, in, our, in the United States. And, uh, um, y- you know, it's very difficult to know where to go to have this experience. And aren't there some churches in the United States or two, uh, one or two churches uh, that actually incorporate ayahuasca into their ceremony? Yes, ayahuasca is considered a sacrament in the Santa Dime Church and the UDV uh, Church. And these are legal churches in the United States. They, um, there are two, in, two Dime churches in Oregon. And so... The ayahuasca is the sacrament. They call it the daimi, and it's part of the church service. And people drink it in this um, in this ceremonial church service, and so that's legal. And then the UDV is in New Mexico, and they also consider it a sacrament, and it's legal. And these uh, court cases for these two churches has gone all the way up to the Supreme Court. So those are the only places where it's actually legal in the United States. People go to Costa Rica and to South America to um, to uh, retreat centers and work with shaman in those exotic places, which also can be misleading. Or you know, I've heard of stories of people going and uh, people that really aren't shaman posing as shaman, and then some terrible right. things happening. So that's another thing to be wary of too, right? That's a whole other problem. You have to get really good referrals because you're going to drink something that looks like mud, looks like sort of liquid mud. You have no way of knowing what's in it. So you really want to be able to trust the shaman and the whole situation and feel safe. So you have to, I mean, this is the most important thing I'm probably going to say, is you have to be very careful that you feel safe. Well, let's talk about, well, of course, I want to talk about your research and, you know, new hope for depression, addiction, PTSD, and anxiety, and some of the implications for that. But personally, what was it that led you and the work that you're doing to ayahuasca to experience it? And what was your own personal experience like with the ayahuasca if you did try it? I, I read that you did, though. <laughs> you did? <laughs> I, yeah, I think I did. Why? Am I making that up? You're picking that up. You know, I've hit the age where, you know, I'm ready to confess to everything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I had psychedelic experiences in the 60s, so I was not Mm. unfamiliar with this, some of this territory, but I had never heard of ayahuasca. And I, you know, I had 
raised, I had a householder life. I worked and I raised my daughter and uh, she was finishing graduate school and I was going off. I was living in New Jersey and I was going off to a beach vacation. So I picked a retreat center that I had heard of from another friend. It was in between the Pacific beach, the ocean and a rainforest. And I thought, well, this sounds great. And I didn't even really read the, uh, description of the retreat and I didn't recognize any of the buzzwords so just a few days before I was getting ready to leave to go to Costa Rica uh, the woman who's arranging everything calls me and says do you want to participate in the ceremony and I brilliantly say what ceremony and so she has to explain it now I happen to have you know an abiding interest in psychedelics from my own youth and so I happen to have a book that I had bought about ayahuasca mostly because I liked the cover. I'd never opened it. So I read the book. I went to the retreat center. And of course, I said yes to the ceremonies. And that's basically been my position. I sort of mostly say yes when it comes to ayahuasca. Um, and so I had this amazing experience the very first time where I went back in time to when my father was dying. I had brought him home to my house. So he was under hospice care. And it was the last 24 hours of his life. And I got to literally relive those 24 hours in the ayahuasca ceremony and say goodbye to him again and hear his voice. It was a replay of the whole experience. And, um, and, and then I had a shared death experience with him where I sort of shot up into the cosmos and went with him part way as he was leaving. And so for me, that was wow. a mystical experience, almost like a rocket ship zooming up into the, into the darkness of the cosmos. And, and so that was a real, um, that changed everything for me. I had, I had had other psychedelic experiences in my youth, but nothing that was so specifically personal and therapeutic and mystical and you know, it was like, how did this, ha how does this work? I mean, I had all these questions. Amazing. So By the way, I'm so glad I asked that because that wasn't on your form to ask that. And wow, oh. that's really something you should lead every story with. That's what, what could be more healing than that? Yes, it was, it was, it was absolutely very healing for me. That's right. And it also, I mean, it also changes my whole perspective about what is dying and what is death and what is that veil between the the worlds and i i really i relived i re i had the, the my final conversation with my father where i heard his voice so there's you know there's a real lifting of that veil that uh changed my philosophical perspective on everything wow that is amazing that is a great story on that um and so going into this research and work, what do we know about how it could help those with, you know, depression, addiction, PTSD, anxiety, things that are really, you know, n regular pharmaceuticals really haven't found any, any relief for. Well, I mean, you know, that's a little subjective, right? But I mean, yeah. or objective or, or, well, no, or judgmental. <laughs> but, but let me start. There really is a renaissance in uh, research on psychedelics. And, yeah. and some of the most interesting studies 
are they're using psilocybin with people who have terminal cancer. So these are people who are going to die in the next year or so. And they're dealing with all the discomfort and pain and existential angst of dying and saying goodbye to everybody. And uh, with one or two psilocybin sessions, these people have a similar uh, breakthrough in worldview. So they, they, uh, the research report basically says that, that most of the people lose their fear of dying, their whole philosophical way that they hold death changes and they're not so afraid of it and they're more accepting and they're more interested in quality of life for the time they have left. And so it opens up the possibility of really important conversations with people as they're dying so that they can complete their life and their relationships. And, and so it changes everything about their dying experience. So that's, I mean, that's one of the most profound research results that is is coming from research on psychedelics. Now, the reason most of the research is done with psilocybin is because LSD has a, a, a controversial reputation and ayahuasca is not a good medicine for research because we can't control the dose and potency. So psilocybin is made in the laboratory. They're not eating mushrooms. They're taking a capsule, and they can control the dose. And they, at Hopkins, the researchers have figured out what is the, the best dose that will occasion, that will likely lead to a mystical experience. Because with other um, kinds of patients, with depression, for instance, what they found is that if the, the, the strong if the stronger the mystical experience, the better the therapeutic outcome. So they really see that uh, it's not just the drug alone, like we think of um, Prozac as treating depression. It's the drug is treating the depression. That's not the same with psychedelic drugs. The psychedelic drugs are creating the opportunity for mystical experience, and the mystical experience changes the depression. It's a whole different way of looking at things. Interesting. So it's kind of that's what makes it stick, so to say. It actually has a lasting effect, and they're not needing to take more of it? That's actually correct. Um, well, it's very interesting. and it's, it's both interesting and horrifying to know that this kind of research is out there, yet it's still illegal and, you know, and still taboo. And maybe some people are like tuning into Juice Guru Radio right now saying, wow, Steve talks about getting juicy, getting healthy with juicing, but this is a little off topic. But it seems like this is something that should be, you know, I mean, you're saying they're doing more research on it, but it still is the taboo and not enough research. Would you agree with that? Well, it's just, it's just, it's, it's just beginning to build. So I'm sorry that, you know, we had 40 years where research was illegal. I mean, when has our government denied researchers the opportunity to study something? So this is a a very difficult, it's been a very difficult situation. So the good news is that research is starting again. And yes, it will take a long time. And um, ayahuasca will probably be the last um, psychedelic that's really studied. And and that's because of the dosage, right? Because with the LSD, also you can control the dosage, right? Correct. That's absolutely right. 
Interesting. And, and there's a lot of research going on now that's just beginning. And, but part of what's unusual about ayahuasca, and this is from mostly personal reports, is, and, it, and it's, it's implicit in my story as well, is how personal people's experiences are. It's not just a, a huge explosion of mystical experience. There's, it's almost as if there's a therapeutic intervention that happens where people um, uh, are often confronted with maybe uh, reliving a traumatic event in their life or watching it as if they're watching a television screen um, or they're given very specific therapeutic messages. I mean, extremely specific and detailed. So there was one woman who was in a family where she didn't know, the family would never tell her who her father was. She'd never met her father and it was basically a family secret. And she, information was revealed to her in an ayahuasca session that, um, and well, I'll, I'll get to that. Information was revealed to her that the person she thought was her mother was really her grandmother. You've heard this kind of family story before. And who she thought was her sister was really her mother. So there was a whole rearrangement of family generations for her. And this had been a huge family secret. So that's awfully specific therapeutic information that I don't hear people reporting from other psychedelic experiences. This kind of experience is very specific to ayahuasca. There's another thing we should mention about it that we don't hear specific to other psychedelic um, molecules. I'm not sure what the word is, but psychedelic, you know, <laughs> molecules. And yeah. that is the spirit of ayahuasca, that there's actual, there's been reports. So where we say earlier that every experience is different, there, there's been reports of ayahuasca being a female spirit, that it's, there's been some connections to nature, almost like the plant life is actually communicating in a way and a whole different level of that with ayahuasca that we don't hear about LSD or even, I don't think, uh, psilocybin, the mushrooms that you're talking about before. Like, have you heard about this, that there's some sort of life force in ayahuasca and, and some symbolism with the snake and DNA, DNA and things like that? Right. Well, I, I actually did a research study that was published in 2012. And uh, I, I, it was in part a survey of people who had, in Westerners, in North, who had drunk ayahuasca once, at least once, maybe more, in North America. So what I was looking at is, how, what is the experience as it's coming into the Western world? And one of the questions I asked was, do you have an ongoing relationship with the spirit of ayahuasca? And I, um, I, a, a shaman had told, a Western shaman had suggested I ask that question. I would never have known to ask that question. And I, I just followed her advice. And I was shocked when I looked at the data. I, I had data from 81 people and 54 of them, 74% reported that yes, they had an ongoing relationship with the spirit of ayahuasca, she came to them in their dreams, in meditation. Often it was a female. Some people sort of felt that they had a romantic relationship with her. Most people felt she was more like a grandmother, um, but sometimes a strict grandmother, someone who would tell them the truth, even if it was tough. 
but someone who is always available, loving and kind. Um, and so that was fascinating for me. And that she would give them specific advice. They could ask her questions and she would respond and guide them and, and have real answers for them. And, and I have to tell you something I just learned recently in an interview I did with a psychologist in California. And he said, this is a young guy, so he's taking a variety, and it's California, so he's taking different psychedelics. And he said, uh, but his main interest is in ayahuasca. And he said, even if I take acid or, or mushrooms or even MDMA, which is not technically a psychedelic, but it doesn't matter what drug I'm on, I encounter the spirit of ayahuasca. So I go to the same place. And I have this relationship with her where I'm connected. As soon as I, my consciousness is altered, I'm in contact with her. So now that was fascinating to me because it, it, it's, it's not about the DMT. It's about the altered state of consciousness. So we're still learning, still so much more to learn about this. And uh, for those that are listening and interested, I mean, I know you talked a little, Rachel, about uh, you know, be going into this with eyes open and that not every experience is the same and to look out for shaman or, you know, you never know. And it is legal in those other countries, not here in America. So it's not something right. when it comes, and, and you did use the word ceremony. So I'm sure there's some questions about what you mean by ceremony and also what you, what you think for the future of ayahuasca and um, in helping with some of these things. And I also wanted to ask you about autism and do you think there's any implications for psychedelics and, and autism? Because we've done some studies on juicing with autism. I'm an occupational therapist by trade, and I, okay. pair, I paired up with a speech therapist, and we did a study on giving juices, you know, green, green juices to autism. But what do you think about that, though? If that can be a whole other area of, uh, of opening for, for humanity. The research that's just beginning is uh, using MDMA, which is ecstasy, which we usually think of as a, a fun uh, drug for music festivals. But actually, uh, that's the drug that they're studying for PTSD, and also new studies are beginning for autism. And it's, a, it's not exactly a psychedelic. They call it an empath, em, em, empathic produce an empathy producing drug. So it sort of opens people up. And so that's why they feel it might help autistic children be able to connect with, with other people. And so the studies are just beginning on that. So you're right to ask the question. It's just not about ayahuasca. It's about MDMA. Okay. And, but where the warnings about ayahuasca too is the experience. Like when we say it's not a party, it's not a party. It could be, you know, a lot of no. cleansing, you yes, know, a lot of uncomfortableness, right? Right. People really uh, like to be near a bathroom because there can be purging uh, from the, you know, people can vomit and they can also have diarrhea. So this is not something you do at a music festival or for fun. It's a challenging experience in a ceremony. And usually a ceremony is led by somebody who's trained as a shaman. And that kind of training literally takes years and years and years. So, you know, there's no um, fast track for becoming a shaman. And you want to be with someone where you really feel safe and trust their capacity 
to manage the energy of the ceremony. And usually a shaman will sing, and often the indigenous songs themselves are part of the healing. So you want to be with someone who really knows how to deal with these exotic energies. Well, I hope that gives our listeners an overview. I know we can talk for hours about it because it goes deeper and deeper. And um, maybe, though, before we wrap up, you can share more about some of the other experiences with ayahuasca and some of the other things people can expect. And Well, you if- know, let me say something that's really relevant because I know you're so, your whole thing is about health. And, and one of, there are, there seem to be miracle cures that people wake up the next morning from a ceremony and basically say, I'm never touching alcohol again. It's clear it's a poison. I'm never touching it again. And, and that's true for many people. That is the turning point for them. But it's people also report that they increase their exercise and, and time spent in nature, and they clean up their diet. And, you know, as, as a psychologist, we know psychologists are, are not very good at getting people to clean up their diet. And doctors are not. Right. You know, it's a very difficult thing to change your lifestyle. For many people, it's an immediate change. And people just naturally decide they're going to eat healthier, more plant-based foods. And it's a, a major change in their lifestyle. Yeah, I keep this, waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> the, this, this medication is not for the faint of heart. This is for people that really want to take it to another level and are willing to do the work to get there. And that's why I think it ties into the work we're doing. We're all about evolving and growing, and I think it really could be a tool for growth. Would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely, I would. Yeah. What about the other side of the coin, though? Have there been any experiences of people overdoing it with something like ayahuasca or, you know, getting in? Well, you said if there are psychological issues that it could trigger something. I mean, what are some of the other warnings or, you know, that what's the worst? Can someone come in and say, well, what's the worst that could happen if I was going to go do a ceremony? And, and by the way, it's kind of funny that you end up going to a retreat and not even knowing that it was an ayahuasca retreat. I, I do find that uh, entertaining. Yeah. That's entertaining. I think, that, I think that's my, my version of being called. <laughs> right. You couldn't have been. Yeah. And that's another thing that it is a calling, isn't it? When people hear this, they might experience a calling to it. Is that correct? Right, that's right. And and so people really need to find kindred spirits and talk to friends who have been to ceremonies and and so there can be a, a direct referral. This is not something you can find in the yellow pages and don't go to anything that's advertising on the internet. This is very private and uh, underground in this country. And um, uh, you do... If, if, if you're exploring a, a place where someone's doing a ceremony and, it's, uh, and they, don't, they don't give you information about your diet before the ceremony, they don't ask you anything about your medications or your history, your health history or a psychiatric history, then don't go. There should be a pretty uh, serious interview before you go. And you should be given pretty clear instructions about what to eat and what not to eat for the week coming up to the ceremony. The other thing is if the shaman is, is playing tape-recorded songs, 
then that means they're not a fully trained shaman. They don't really know how to sing. And if you want an authentic experience, you need to find a shaman who's trained and actually is able to sing the indigenous songs. So those are two kind of gross variables that you can look at and and see if they make sense to you. And you also want a private, safe place. And nobody should ever be left alone. There should be helpers who are able to keep an eye on everyone in the group so that nobody wanders off or gets lost. Now, there was a famous article in National Geographic by one of the writers. She was real. I forget her name offhand. I'm sure you know where she went to a ceremony yeah. and overcame years of depression and, um, yeah. and published that in National Geographic. Do you know about that? And Because I'm trying to – I want to give both sides of the coin that people are really making transformations with this. Well, she – you know, I think she did that ceremony maybe 13 years or so ago. It was National Geographic Adventure. And um, that article received, because she basically said this cured my depression. And that article received more inquiries than any other article ever published in National Geographic Adventure. So it was, it really opened things up. And she went to a a, a place in South, in Peru, Um And the truth is I have followed her up and she has continued to go for ceremonies and it's been a continuation of being helpful for her. Right. It's stuck. It's stuck and she needed to to go, but at what frequency? Once a year, a couple of times a year? I don't really know. This is not something you do weekly. You go infrequently, but people do return. The churches um, go more, much more frequently, the ayahuasca churches. They have uh, meetings often every two weeks, at least once a month. And in a way, that keeps the medicine, even though they call it a sacrament, I'll call it a medicine, it keeps the, the DMT in the person's system. And so it keeps them lifted above, uh, out of the depression. And, and people say, well, is there a risk of addiction? And the answer is no. There's, these drugs, are, these uh, chemicals are not addictive at all. And also, if you drink too much, in quotes, you just vomit it up. So, but you cannot mix it with antidepressants and ayahuasca. That's actually very dangerous. So you have to be cleared of all psychotropic meds. And you only want to go into a ceremony that asks you those kinds of questions. Because if they're not asking those questions, people are coming in who are still on Prozac or, or whatever. And it can be very dangerous. So you, you really want to do your research and be careful. Now, the I've other also, ri- Oh, no, go ahead. Well, the other risk is there are stories of a psychotic break that people have had mm. really serious, um, not many, but... Some, and that's certainly a risk with many of the psychotropic drugs and and all of the psychedelics. So you don't want a history of that. It's a big universe. And, you know, there's always the question of life out there and things like that. I know from my research on ayahuasca, (laughs) I know that there are people that have said that, you know, that they've had encounters with other entities from other dimensions while on ayahuasca. Have you looked at that at all or heard anything uh, about that? Because that's interesting as well to me. Yes. Well, the, the most fantastical of those reports often come when people um, smoke DMT. Uh, where the, so it's a different form of ingesting it. 
So uh, that's not the same as a traditional ayahuasca ceremony. That's been sort of a Western version a little bit. And so it's a, a much faster a ceremony can last four to six hours. So you're pretty much up all night. If people smoke it, it, everything's over within an hour. The experience might last for 15 minutes. And that often is very um, extreme and intense and and sort of launches people into other alien worlds and territories where they meet other kinds of beings. But that's not particularly therapeutic. I mean, people do say that it's uh, that it changed their worldview and that they're they're different but it doesn't have the same kind of in-depth therapeutic impact that a ceremony has well it'd be interesting to know you know with paul mccartney seeing god after taking dmt during the beatles heyday and by the way you could just google that it's all over the internet and there's oh is it i'll look it up (laughs) yeah it's, it's very interesting um and basically you know, he did say it led him to seeing God and, um, and and the group of people he was with, including an art dealer and gallery owner. And um, he said they were nailed to the sofa and saw God, this amazing towering thing, and was humbled. We were all humbled. And what I'm saying is that moment didn't turn my life around, but it was a clue to his own spirituality. It's interesting. I don't know if this was an ayahuasca or a smoking of a DMT experience. And that it's interesting. Like oh. They smoked DMT. Is What's what that? that sound. That's what it that sounds, sounds like. like DMT, yeah. And he said it did happen during the Beatles' heyday, so it's interesting to know that even that far back, that that was something. Yeah, they were way ahead of the game. It's Rachel Harris here on Juice Crew Radio. We're going to take some questions. You can type them in the chat box or type them in below, and we'll go ahead and end. Can you answer a couple questions before you get back to the island there, Rachel? Sure, of course. (laughs) But before we close out the radio show portion, the formal part of the show, I'd just like to know – do you think we covered it all as far as the pros and the cons? Because I do want this to be a balanced discourse on ayahuasca, and so people have a better understanding about the ancient brew. I, I think we've t- Well, the other danger is there are lots of stories of especially Western young women going to the jungle to shaman, and the shaman have a way of maybe they're drugging the women in the ayahuasca brew, and maybe they're controlling them, manipulating them with power, that, they, that the young women give the shaman power. Um, are you with me? By oh, you? yeah. And there have been reports of women being raped in, in the jungle. So this, that's another issue that we just have to have out on the table so that there's, people know there's a risk. Yeah, so that's another thing to be aware of. Really, going back to what you said at the beginning about having the trust factor with the shaman, whoever you're working with in this. So those, I think, would raise some red flags, though, to put some fear into finding the right person and, you know, the right connections to find the right person. Because some people might not even know where to start. Right. And it's it's all going to be word of mouth. You have to have a personal referral. The the other side of it is... um, you know, I'm at these psychedelic conferences that are academic presentations. And often there's a presentation from a panel of veterans. And they talk about their going to the jungle for ayahuasca ceremonies and how it's been very healing. And they, they 
you know, they, everybody listens. You can hear the, a drop of a, a thumbtack in the room. Everybody's really listening because these are people where they have suffered for all of us. And um, they talk about their own healing and they talk about um, how they come back and they have to work with what they've learned. It's not just a miracle thing. They have to work with it every day. And I think that's an important consideration to make it more realistic. This is not a miracle experience. You have to work with what you learn. And also there's an integration period, right? Like coming back from an experience that profound and then integrating back into the daily life. That could be a thing too, right? Yes, that's correct. And I think we're still learning about that. And I'm giving a talk next month about what does it look like when people are going to ceremonies and are also in weekly psychotherapy? How do those two processes inform each other? It's Rachel Harris here on Just Guru Radio. Again, the book, Listening to Ayahuasca, available at Amazon or listeningtoayahuasca.com for more information on what she's up to. Uh, Rachel, anything to close out in on what you'd like to share before we close out iHeartRadio portion of the show right now? Well, I could just, I could say very personally that uh, I'm hearing from more people that they're kind of inspired to, some people are inspired to do, um, to to write about their experiences with ayahuasca or to write a philosophical book or to do interview shows. I mean, people are being inspired by their own healings in different ways and wanting to share their experiences responsibly just as you talked about yourself um, with a balanced report but there is this sense of uh, more openness about uh, these unusual altered states of consciousness thank you again it's Rachel Harris here on Jusker Radio find out more at listening to ayahuasca.com we'll have links up at Jusker Radio if you'd like to dig deeper this is the book to get Uh, this is really going to take you deeper into ayahuasca and what it can do for you and your loved ones. I'm Steve Prusak, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Juice Guru Radio. Find out more about us at JuiceGuruRadio.com. Until next time, get your juice on.